What we need to do is when these challenges present themselves in our businesses, rather than being, oh gosh, the world is against me. This is the end of me. This is Armageddon. It's like, ah, right. What is this telling me about where I need to uplevel my boundaries in some way? What is the process I need to create? What is the documentation I need here? What is something that I need to put on my sales page or my website? What is it that I need to do here that means that even though it's a pain in the ass with this particular client, that going forward, that this is not going to be an issue? Welcome to the Audience Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Hutchison, and I'm delighted you're here. This podcast exists to help you learn how to use organic marketing. By now, I'm sure you know that's marketing that costs nothing or very little in order to grow your business. Because far too often, I see small business owners spending lots of money on advertising without getting the results they were expecting or hoping for. And it doesn't need to be that way. So here on the podcast, every week, we cover strategies that will help you grow a business that's here for the long term that works for you. And we do that sometimes on solo episodes and sometimes on longer guest episodes like this one. On today's episode, I'm chatting to writer, podcaster, artist and speaker Natalie Liu. Natalie will be speaking at Adventures in Marketing in Edinburgh in February 2023. If you haven't heard me mention it before, hit pause right now and go and check out adventuresinmarketing.uk where you'll find the full speaker lineup and event details. So back to today's episode, and it is my absolute pleasure to welcome Natalie to the podcast. Hello, Natalie. Hi, Nikki. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. And for any listeners to the podcast who maybe haven't come across you before, could you share a bit about who you are as a business owner and who you love to work with? Absolutely. I have been writing I used to call it a blog, I suppose these days you just call it a website called baggagereclaim.com for 17 years, where I've been helping people pleasers, perfectionists, overthinkers to break the unhealthy patterns behind these habits so that they can have better relationships, better sense of self, better work experiences. And so, as I said, started that 17 years ago, but I've actually been doing it full time for, I think, coming up to 15 years. And I've been doing that through, I've self-published four books, which have sold over 150,000 copies. And I have created e-courses. And, you know, when there was a time when we were not dealing with COVID, I used to do things like workshops and that type of thing. I have another book coming out this time, traditionally published, called The Joy of Saying No. And that comes out in January 2023. Phenomenal. So much I could ask you about this, Natalie, (laughs) but we don't have too long together. (laughs) But let's talk about that book that you mentioned, The Joy of Saying No, coming out in January. I know that I personally am really looking forward to saying no to many things over the festive period. So I'm completely intrigued to hear more about taking this approach in everyday life. Can you share with us a bit of a teaser about what the book is all about? Absolutely. So the joy of saying no is really for anybody who recognizes that on some level they have people pleasing boundary issues that are showing up. It might not be across the board in their life. It might be specifically about work or with family or friendship or whatever it is. There's a struggle around saying no. And I wrote this book because I have learned over the last 17 years that learning to say no 
is really the gateway to experiencing more joy and fulfillment. And so this book invites you to stop people-pleasing, reclaim your boundaries, and say yes to the life that you want through a six-step framework that guides the reader through how to quit that cycle of people-pleasing and also to build up their confidence with no, because actually we've all been socialized into people-pleasing to a certain extent. And I really break down what people-pleasing is because a lot of people think that it's about being very virtuous or about being a doormat and it's neither of these things. And really help the reader to understand why this has happened. Like it's not a flaw in you. This is something that has really been imposed upon you by society and the environments that you grew up in. And I really hope that people read this and are like, ah, now I have the confidence to turn around and say no to that tricky client or that tricky coworker or to finally start tackling a situation with a family member. So I am one of those people who thought that people pleasing was, like you said, being virtuous or, you know, being a doormat. That was my assumption. So can you tell me what is people pleasing in your definition? So people pleasing is us deprioritizing our needs, expectations, desires, feelings and opinions to put other people's ahead of ours. And we do this to gain attention, affection, approval, love and validation or to avoid conflict, criticism, rejection, loss, disappointment and the like. It is a coping and survival mechanism that we learned in childhood. And it is our way of helping out and being good. And as a result, people pleasing is us really thinking that we're doing all of these things to please others in the hope that somehow it will protect us, but it will also give us all the good things that we want in our life. In actual fact, people-pleasing is like creating a debt, but expecting other people to pay it off because you go around doing what, for all intents and purposes, can often be good things, but for the wrong reasons. And I think with people-pleasing, what people have to understand is when you say yes, are you saying that because it's actually what you mean? Are you saying it because it's what you want to do? Or are you saying it because you're afraid of what will happen if you don't say yes? That is people-pleasing. Are you saying yes or are you trying to avoid tension and friction? Are you saying yes because you feel obliged? All of these saying yes for the wrong reasons is people-pleasing. Okay, got you. Thank you for explaining that. Let's look at this from the angle of a small business owner, which is what the vast majority of listeners to this podcast, that's the category they fall into. So how have you seen being a people-pleaser show up for people who are running their own business and what kind of thing can it block them from doing? I can speak to my own experience here because I was already aware that I'd obviously have boundary issues and that I was struggling with people pleasing, but it's been running my own business that has really shone a light on some of my people pleasing ways, which showed up as overgiving, so overdelivering on stuff. So you can't just do something like create a thing. You have to give everything but the kitchen sink. The idea being that you do so much that it's really tricky. You hope for somebody to criticize you because it's like, look at everything I've given you. It is undercharging because you are afraid to charge what you deep down know that you need and want to charge. Somebody comes along and says, oh, I want it to be this. And you bend over and acquiesce because it's like, oh, well, I don't want to get into a conflict. 
people ask you if you can do a little favor, if they can pick your brain. And next thing you know, it's really not a little favor at all. It's spiraled into something much bigger. It is. And I see this a lot with people where you work with a client or you're hoping to work with a client. And so you pitch something to them. And then things haven't actually been signed off, but you're actually technically doing quite a bit of stuff for this client. It might be that you're sort of specking up some stuff and you're sending out emails about this and that and calling this person and helping them with this and that. And this person is getting a lot of work out of you without actually ever having paid you a penny for that work. And then they turn around and go, oh, actually, yeah, we're thinking about going with something else or the project's being put on hold and we've now gone and done a whole load of work. Another one that me personally, I didn't struggle with this. And it's really because I worked as a credit control manager years ago, like back when I was a student. But I have spoken to so many small business owners who have trouble chasing money from clients. So where they have done the work, the invoice has not been paid. Ideally, realistically, they'd want that invoice paid immediately within seven days, okay, even within 30 days. And of course, we know what goes on. Some of these bigger companies, it's 30 days past invoice, 60 days, 90, ridiculous. And then they don't chase the money because they are afraid of alienating the client and not getting more work. But the thing is, if you haven't been paid for your work and now you're still taking on more work, you are in even more debt within your business, but it also affects your cash flow. And so I talked to a lot of people about these boundaries around money and invoicing of clients and being upfront about what the parameters are. That's just a small sampling of what I've encountered with small business owners, whether in my own experience or talking with people. But I think it's so useful for people to be able to access this kind of information early on in their business journey. Because so much of what you're talking about, the late payments, the feeling under pressure because people haven't paid you on time, that's all avoidable, isn't it? Depending on how you set your business up. It is. And it's also about, look, we can't cover off every eventuality at the outset of starting a business. But what I find so often, and I encounter this myself, and it's what created a big shift for me, is that we have these different challenges, like the late payments, like clients messing us around, like clients actually booking us to do work and then adding on this extra stuff and we're not charging for it or they're not paying for it. Oh, that old chestnut scope creep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Scope creep. One of my favorite topics around work. And the thing is, is that what often happens is we go into ourselves when we come up against these challenges. And we are afraid to lose money, but we're afraid to get into conflict. But then we feel resentful towards the client because maybe we haven't been paid or we're doing too much work or they have overstepped boundaries in other ways. And so this just rumbles on and on with this issue replicating itself. Or in some cases, and I've seen this quite a few times, people are like, well, this clearly isn't the business for me. Whereas actually, because we can't cover off every possible eventuality, and even if we do set up the systems, our people pleasing might get triggered. What we need to do is when these challenges present themselves in our businesses, rather than being, oh gosh, the world is against me. This is the end of me. This is Armageddon. It's like, ah, right. What is this telling me about where I need to uplevel my boundaries in some way? What is the process I need to create? What is the documentation I need here? What is something that I need to put on my sales page and my website? 
What is it that I need to do here that means that even though it's a pain in the ass with this particular client, that going forward, that this is not going to be an issue? So take, for example, my brother went through that whole thing of where a client had basically, he'd end up doing far too much work because he kept thinking that this work was going to come in. And then the client was like, oh, we're going to go a different way. And I was like, uh, 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 uh. you have to take this experience and put a whole process in place. And you also need to have clear boundaries with yourself that you do not engage in this kind of work unless you have a contract and unless you have got the money already put down. Somebody was posting on Twitter the other day about how they were chasing about money and the money was taking ages. Like I think there were 90 days or something like that. This is a small business owner, one or two people working in the company, right? And I was like, do you know what? If somebody wants to work with you and they are reluctant or just unwilling to put down a deposit, I think that really screams volumes about the type of business and client that you're dealing with there. And if also that same business is coming to you as a small business owner and saying it is 60 days, 90 days, or whatever it might be, that is not the kind of client that you want to work with because that's telling you something about the culture. It's telling you something about the mentality of who you are dealing with because there are thousands of business owners who have money that they have not seen from clients at all. So it's never been paid. And there will be people who have so much anxiety about paying their bills, paying you know, their mortgage, buying Christmas gifts, because some flipping person out there has basically put them to the bottom of their list of priorities of who they're going to basically pay. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you talk about it this way, because I don't know if you know this about me, but in fact, I'm sure you don't. My first business was a kids hip hop dance company. And we taught lots of different classes. But one of the main revenue streams at the beginning of that business was schools. So we were paid by the local council to go in and teach regular classes, lunchtime, after school, all that kind of stuff. And I had to actively develop alternative revenue streams in order to keep that business going because local council are so slow to pay. I'm talking some invoices didn't get paid for six months. So I had to diversify. So there is always opportunity. And I knew because it was the council, you know, we were going to get paid eventually, but I had no idea when we were going to get paid. So it wasn't a case of me not wanting to do that work. Still wanted to do that work. It's quite a good volume of classes, but I had to bump it up from other areas of the business and other sources of revenue. Yeah, absolutely. With the council, you go, okay, like the council is very likely to pay. I do recommend to people, like when you are doing business with somebody and there's invoicing involved, even though you've said what your payment terms are, often in entering into an agreement with these companies, you go on to their payment terms, not yours. So you need to check about what their payment terms are and their process because they don't tell you this stuff up front because they want you to get dragged into the cycle. And then you'll find, oh, there's a purchase order number and you got to email this person and you got to present them with this thing. But if you don't know that stuff until the day that you turn around and send that invoice in, you are already on the back foot there. But it's also about actually, if you're going to wait months on end, for instance, for your money, even though, okay, for instance, with the council, you might be assured of that. Sometimes you're going to factor that into your pricing as well, because there's a cost to sitting around waiting. And on top of that, you had to go and develop other revenue streams. And of course, that worked out well for your business, but it was also to guard against the fact that you were in business with the council. Yes, that is exactly what happened. (laughs) (laughs) It's bringing back bad memories. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so 
Why do you think, Natalie, that so many of us find it so hard to say no and set these healthy boundaries that we're talking about? So in the book, what I talk about is the age of obedience, where basically, if you're not a child right now, you grew up in that age of obedience, where the disciplining, the communicating with, the interacting with children centered on control and, you know, punishment to a certain extent and making children as excessively compliant as possible. And so we have been told about what is good and what is bad, what good girls do, what good boys do. You know, a lot of it was like, oh, if you talk out of turn, you're going to upset this particular authority. Everybody was an authority over us when we were growing up. And everywhere had a way to do things. School had a way, church had a way, extended family had a way. And so we have grown up really learning to become disassociated from our bodies because it was more important for us to be compliant than it was for us to be real. We could, as a kid, be told off for being left-handed, for being introverted, or conversely being extroverted. We could be told that we were talking out of turn if we asked a question, you know, if we looked a certain way, if we were, quote, unquote, effeminate. The list goes on. So we have been conditioned to believe that the way to be a good, successful, and possibly happy person amongst all of that is to comply, is to do the expected. And the thing about this is that it'd be one thing if we learned all of this and then we got to adulthood and we were like, oh, well, I'm an adult now, I can do whatever the frick I want. But we're humans and we're conditioned. And so we keep repeating these patterns. And in the world of work, because obviously we're talking you know, primarily to small business owners here, Here's how this can play out. So we become grown-ups and we go and we work in these different companies and then we start working for ourselves or maybe we start out and we're a small business owner from the get-go. But because of how we've been conditioned in terms of people-pleasing, anytime we're in a situation that really triggers those same feelings in us, that same sense of compliance, we are going to go into people-pleasing mode. And this can show up in a variety of ways, which is that when we're around somebody that we perceive to be an authority, boom, we start feeling as if we have to comply. When we are aware of a way to do things, even if it's not the only way to do things, we will be like, well, I did want to do it this way, but this person on this podcast or in this book or in this business group or Facebook group or whatever it is, they told me that it had to be done this way. And they seem to be the authority on it because they say that they're a six-figure, seven-figure, eight-figure business owner. So I need to do that. Somebody else says, oh, the way to do Instagram or the way to do social media is this way. And then immediately there's this sense, this tension of, oh, there's this way and I don't really want to do it that way or I feel like it could be done in a slightly different way. But then if I don't, I'm going to get into trouble or I'm not going to be successful. These are the way that it shows up again for us. And are there any obvious or easy ways that people listening can try to get into the habit of saying no more often, to really try it out? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the steps that I talk about in the book is make it a desire or say no. And what I mean by this is you've got to start differentiating between obligation and actually wanting to do stuff. Because it is amazing how we decide to, for instance, become a business owner because we are wanting more freedom and flexibility and we don't want to be caught up in red tape. And then 
if you're anything like me, you end up becoming the worst boss you ever had because you tie yourself up in all of this red tape and obligations. Like, I am the worst boss I ever had. (laughs) I laugh because it's so familiar. (laughs) Yeah, you leave all of that and you go, oh my God, I hate to like sit in a stupid meeting. It's like morning, noon and night and taking ages to get anything done. And I hate to be having to stay late and being forced to blah, blah, blah. And then we force ourselves to do a whole load of stuff. And we shame ourselves when things don't work out make it a desire or say no. And so what it is, is about noticing what is it that you want to do and what is it that you feel obliged to do? And if there is a gap between the wanting and the obligation, that is where resentment is going to show up. And you're also going to end up doing things for the wrong reasons. And so, you know, I was talking with another business owner, I think it was yesterday or the day before, and they are really struggling with social media at the moment. And they're like, oh, it's just, I'm so frustrated with YouTube and social media and all these things. But, you know, this is what people expect of me. And I was like, see what you just said there? This is what people expect of me. That is people pleasing. Because if it's one thing, if that's what people expect of you and you also want to do it, but feeling drained, feeling disenchanted with your own work, suddenly no longer really feeling particularly creative about it, is the sign that you're doing this for the wrong reasons. If you can't get into a place of wanting to do something, then that is a sign that you need to say no. And sometimes you can get a sense that you don't want to do something because you recognize it just feels like an obligation. You're like, Ugh, I have to do this thing. Ugh, I'm so trapped. I'm forced, blah, blah, blah. You know, you hear a lot of people say this about email newsletters. I have to send this email newsletter. It's like, really, do you? (laughs) I mean, is it going to kill you if you don't? But we can also recognize it with the chatter. So, you know, like when somebody asks if you want to do something and in your head, you're like, yeah, but I don't know what they ask me for. Oh, well, if I say no, then what are they going to think of me? What if I don't do it? And then they tell somebody else that I didn't want to do it. And maybe they're talking about me. That kind of chatter. So where you're being self-critical, where you're angsting about how you're going to be perceived by others, where you're basically sort of trying to control the uncontrollable and also sort of ruminating about basically why you don't really want to do this, but actually still contemplating making you do this. That is a sign that you don't want to do it. Now, I recognize that there are certain things that we have to do in our business. For instance, we have to pay our taxes. I know not everybody pays their taxes, but we are obliged to pay our taxes. And the thing is, is that even though doing the stuff around that, like the accounts or the VAT return, gets on your last nerve, it's something you want to do because it allows you to do other things. And it is something that allows you to function in your business. But When other people come along and they're asking you to do stuff, or you feel as if, oh, well, I have to implement this thing in a business because I saw ABC over there doing it. It's like, no, hold on a second. Do you actually want to do this? And if you're feeling obliged, if you're feeling like it's a rule, if you feel like you have to, check in with yourself. And also, sometimes it requires checking in with the other person. Like, if you truly feel like you have to do it, would you be able to turn around and say to that person, this feels like something that I don't really have a choice in doing, or it feels like I'm sort of obliged to do this. If you can't turn around and say that to that person, it's because you know that's not true. (laughs) Because if it is an obligation, that's something that the two of you know about and the two of you should be able to talk about. So you've got to make it a desire or say no, or check in with the person about your perception of the ask, because sometimes it feels like an obligation and the other person goes, no, you're totally free to say no if you want to. So open communication always. 
Yeah. And actually, as I think of it, I think an area where this can show up for business owners is where it feels like an obligation because we feel like if we say no this time, that this person is going to basically be like, well, that's you, done. That's no forever and ever more. So even though we don't want to do it, we're like, I don't want to burn this bridge because what if there's something else that comes up in the future that I actually do want to do? This person's not going to consider me. But we're still making ourselves do something for the wrong reasons. And so is it a case that this person is not going to want anything to do with us because we've said no this time? Can't we turn around and say, actually, I don't have the bandwidth to take that on at this time, but I would be so open to doing this in the future if you happen to run, for instance, this event again. Like, why can't it be that? Why does it have to be no, not ever, 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 or forcing yourself into it? Yeah, I think that's quite challenging, isn't it, as a business owner to remember that it doesn't always have to be all or nothing or black or white. You know, you can make alternative suggestions if you don't want to do something or you don't want to do it a particular way. 100%. Yeah, 100%. It's like when you say no, I mean, unless it really is a no, not ever, don't ever call me again or speak to me again. A lot of the time it is no, not right now. Or no, this isn't a fit, but maybe something else could be at some other point. But if we don't speak up and get clear about what we can and can't do, the person doesn't know how to come back to us for something that's more of a fit. Or they just don't have a sense of what our boundaries are. Let's talk about for a moment the whole like, Can you do this thing for free for me? Now, I'm not saying that all things free are bad. Let's not say that. But I also think that we have to strike a balance here and recognize that not everything is an opportunity. We do have to weigh things against what we want to do, what we would find fun to do, because there are things that are, for instance, are free or that are not going to necessarily be paid a lot, but actually we would thoroughly enjoy doing that. Great. But this whole like guilting ourselves into doing things for free ends up making us feel resentful, not just towards the people that we would be working with, but also towards ourselves. Because then we feel like I've devalued myself in this process because what we've done is we've entered into it for the wrong reasons. It's the wrong reasons thing again. Because if we had wanted to do that thing and so we were giving of ourselves wholeheartedly, then we would be entering into a mutual arrangement. But if we were like, huff, puff, all the rest into it, then of course we're going to feel resentful. Yeah, that makes total sense. And it's something that I think a lot of people are experiencing right now when it comes to their own social media. We touched on that briefly. But from looking at your social media accounts, It definitely seems like you've got great boundaries. You look like you're having fun, but at the same time, it really doesn't look like Instagram is controlling you. Can you share a little bit about that? How have you managed to find that sweet spot, if you think you have, and maybe how other people can find that too? So a few years back, I think it must have been maybe 2018, I had this realization that the reason why... I didn't really like using Instagram is because I'd gone into that people-pleasing perfectionist mode. When, for me, there isn't an awareness of a capital W way, I'll do whatever the frick I want to do. But once I'm hearing a lot of, oh, your grid has to look aesthetically aligned and you got to post this, blah, 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 blah. I then go into overthinking mode and it feels like, oh, I've got to do it. And it just feels like a chore. So I was avoiding Instagram and only kind of sporadically posting. I post in in the stories because stories feel quite liberating, whereas the grid felt very sort of, oh, like pressured and like, I have to get this right. 
And then something shifted in me where I realized that I was going against my own ethos, that the people pleasing and the perfectionism had shown up in this attitude towards social media. And so I gradually just started posting whatever the hell I felt like posting on there, which was, you know, I have these sort of handwritten quotes on watercolor that I do. I dance, I posted some scripts. I'm just having to crack. And for me, I feel like that works better for me than going into this with like, oh, well, I've been told that this is what you have to post on Instagram. So this is the thing that I'm going to do because that comes out in how you post. I do not feel obliged to reply to every comment on Instagram. I don't feel obliged to reply to every DM. That's not to say that I don't reply to DMs. Sometimes my DMs can really fill up. If I want to take three months to reply then so be it. I also don't give, as one might put it, free advice on Instagram. So this is another example of a boundary where, you know, you get people sending you dreams of their life story, you know, over DM. I would be doing that person a disservice if I even tried to let on that I am going to fix their life. Not that I'm fixing anybody's lives, but what I'm going to spend five minutes or however long basically reading all of this and then replying to all of that. I'm doing myself a disservice, but also I'd be doing them a disservice with it as well. At the end of the day, we also have to ask ourselves, why do some people send us those messages? Are these people then sending, for instance, reams and reams of messages to Stephen Bartlett, expecting him to solve their private life or their business life? Probably not because they see Stephen as being almighty or powerful, this brilliant. They might be like, oh, Stephen, you're amazing. But they're not necessarily going to be like, oh, I'll send you this big, long thing and expect you to reply back and chase you to reply. So I realized that I needed to act from the place of how I wanted to be rather than replying to these and giving people advice and then being like, oh, but I actually don't give this. It's like, if you don't give advice, then don't give advice. And this is a trap that I think a lot of people fall into. So I think that I don't force myself to be on Instagram or any social platform any more than I want to be. I know there are times, and this is an interesting time for that. I said several months ago to my online business manager that I, of course, want to promote my book, but I'm not prepared to hoe myself out. And she has reminded me of that recently as I felt at times a level of pressure coming about, oh, you need to post about this. And I've had to really check in with myself because if I don't do it from a place of wanting to do it, then I'm going against myself. I'm even going against my own ethos in that process. So it really is about, of course, sometimes we have to stretch out of our comfort zone and we have to, as we might think about it, bang on about something because we've got something to promote. But when we think about actually our why and, and what that's leading to, then we can get on board with that. I think that social media can actually, obviously, aside from doing anything dodgy, you can do it however you want to do it. And you need to do it for long enough in the way that you want to do it in order to get a sense of what is and isn't working for you. Like you can't post something once in the different way that you want to do it. It'd be like, well, this sucks. I haven't got the response that I wanted. I didn't get 100,000 likes like straight away. These things take time. It's also, honestly, it's also not about the vanity. Like I know people that make a lot of money and they have a small following. I'm not saying money is everything, but I'm saying if you're thinking that the key to life is that you've got to be on social 24-7 and you've got to be posting all the time and you need to have like a million followers, you really don't. And vice versa. I know quite a few people who have a sizable following and actually don't make as much money as you might think. 
Yeah, I know a lot of those. And it's surprising because you're sometimes looking at them with their 100, 200, 300, 400,000 followers, sometimes even a million plus followers. And they're talking about how they've barely made anything. And I think that we assume that they are when they're not. And what I've also found interesting is business owners who have the small following and who are making really good money, but they put themselves under pressure to try to get a following that looks big. And I'm like, well, what do you need to? Like, aren't you achieving all of your aims already without having to do that? Like, why would you even need to do that? Yeah. And it's about who it is. Anyway, that's a whole other conversation that we probably don't have time for today. (laughs) (laughs) I look forward to chatting to you about that in more detail in February. So can you tell our listeners, Natalie, what they can expect to hear from you if they're coming along to Adventures in Marketing in Edinburgh in February? Yeah, I am going to really be sharing about how you can use the joy of saying no in your business to help you grow, to be more creative, to also just get out of some of those frustrating areas, like for instance, the social media or dealing with clients, so that you can be in the business in the way that you want to be, so that you can be doing things in the way that you want. And so it's really about, well, how do I take the people pleaser and the perfectionism and the overthinking out of this and really show up from a more honest, authentic place within my business? Sounds awesome. I'm in. (laughs) I'll be there. (laughs) Oh, Natalie, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a real education listening to you and I can't wait to hear more from you. Before February comes, if people would like to find out more about you and find you online and of course, find out when your book is released, where is the best place to search you up online? So my website is baggagereclaim.com or .co.uk. So baggage reclaim like at the airport. And that's where you can also find my podcast, which is the Baggage Reclaim Sessions and more information about my book, The Joy of Saying No, which is available at all your usual retailers on and offline. And in terms of social, the main place to get a hold of me is on Instagram. And I'm at Nat Lou on there, which is N-A-T-L-U-E. Great. Well, I can't wait to meet you in person in February. And thank you so much for joining me today. Me too. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Take care. See you soon. Take care. If developing healthy boundaries and saying no to the things that don't align with you personally or as a business owner is something that's on your agenda for next year, then you're going to want to come and hear more from Natalie at our event, Adventures in Marketing, in Edinburgh on the 9th of February, 2023. If you're listening to this live and act quickly, and this is the last time I'm going to say this before the price goes up, there might be a very few early bird tickets still available. So head over to adventuresinmarketing.uk to find out who all of our amazing speakers are and grab your ticket today. I'll be back next week for a conversation with another of our Adventures in Marketing speakers, digital marketing strategist and advocate of deaf awareness, Ahmed Khalifa. That episode will be published next week on Friday at 7am. I hope to see you then. Now, before you do anything else, remember to go and grab your Adventures in Marketing ticket and join us in February to hear from Natalie, Ahmed and a whole host of other experts. Have a great week and don't forget to give yourself permission to say no to something. Take care.